You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Mean Old Lion Media presents the history of being black. Welcome. What up, though, to the History of Being Black podcast. I am your host, Jay Hall. We're here talking about all levels of being black. And I am here with a Washington, D.C. icon slash legend, Mr. Rick Doc Walker. How are you good, sir? I'm doing good. Happy to be here, Jay. That's good. That's good. I'm glad everything is well with you. How's your summer going? Everything smooth in that direction? It was moving in the right direction. It's been it's been hot, but... Um, <laughs> As long as it's not snowing, I can cope with it. I'm from the West Coast, man. This ice and this East Coast deal is I'm, I'm, it's a slow burn for me, but I'm getting there. Hey, listen, do not feel bad. I was born in December and born and raised in Detroit, Michigan, and I despise the snow. I hate any weather past October, so I'm with yeah, you. Yeah, it's the postcard thing is good. But other than that, because I'm the designated <laughs> shoveler, so like a fool, I messed around and got a driveway as if I'm in California, and it's way too long to be on the east. But I measure myself annually by being able to shovel it. I've never, you know, I had three boys. I never required any help. I don't want no help. That's my litmus test. If I can do that in <laughs> three hours and still be alive, then I win. And and I do it that way because a lot of people die in a driveway. But I yeah. you day, you know, I do cardio every day. I feel like this is too good to check out early. So you haven't gotten to that status of I didn't put in my work. Y'all go do that. You you still out there doing it on y'all? No, yeah, because as the body breaks down, the only thing that gets you to the next level is your will. And if you can't endure some pain. And the only way you develop that pain is through training. You know, you want to be really good walking a mile, but you got to walk three to get a good mile in. You got to train doing three miles a day. So I know I can dominate one. Yeah. So I have to play these, these, create these games with myself just to be competitive because the older you get, you slow down. And I see people, they expand and there's nothing good about it health wise. And I'm, I've worked too hard to check out of here without having more fun. So, if you catch me in a bad situation, it's an accident because I'm planning on riding this dog a long, long time. Yeah, let's 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 talk about that work. You're a former NFL great. You played for the Cincinnati Bagels, 1977-1979, and then, but you're most known for playing for the Washington then named Redskins. Now, I went to Howard and I lived in D.C. for a lot of years, and so okay. to my friends who are born and raised. In Chocolate City, I sent out a group text and let them know I was talking to you. So I want to let you know. I'm going to let you know when they got the questions for you, when it's my questions and it's theirs. But, um, you know, let's 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 talk about that for a second. You also won a Super Bowl in 1982, which is, you know, something that is considered legendary, you know, against the Dolphins, against that. When you talk about playing on that high test, you talk about work and you've been retired for some years now. What was something that you would say you took from the game that you take in everyday life right now? Well, comp competition. You have to create a level within yourself.
to increase your level of competitiveness. If I'm in the marketplace, I'm competing in that, whether I'm in retail, wholesale, because I, by nature, I'm a businessman because life is about being in business to me. If you don't run a real good business, you don't eat well about options. I choose what I eat. I earn the right to eat at the level that I perform. So I'm not going to be given anything. I'm not be given rations. I deserve white tablecloth, steak and lobster. So in order to do that, I have to create a, a platform that will allow me to roll the way I want to roll. That's on me. Now, I know there are some restrictions, and I've been discriminated, Ben. I, I did the whole black thing, but that don't work. That's not good enough because I see too many people that succeed, too many people that do it. But Dave Chappelle, when he walked away, from what he walked away from on principle, I knew then I was right. That's my guy because he's not controlled by anything. He sets the bar. You establish your own market, and then you attract people to that to the marketplace. And if it's good, they'll reward you for it. And then you can sustain what you want to do. I'm not going to be dictated to, told where I live. I ain't doing that limitation thing. I bust out that bubble. And then if you can help others do that, you can make a living with it. That what you speak of, is that what got you into playing football in the first place coming up? No, no. I got to playing football because I hurt my arm. I was a pitcher. Baseball was my love, my sport. I mean, I was 12. I asked my mom. and My father was a Giants fan. He's a Marine. And I, so, of course, you go get your old man. And I, I said, well, I'm a Dodger guy because that's their rival. Like my son, one of my three is a Celtic guy because I'm a Laker guy. And so I, I asked her, I said, Mom, do they pay the pitcher when he don't pitch? She, she didn't know. She was a nurse. She went to the hospital, came back the next day and said, baby, they told me, yeah, you do. I said, wait a minute. It's 162 games. I only got to play 30? And I get more than the guys who play every day? Sign me up. And at that point, I was committed. <laughs> to being a baseball player and I could hit and I could play short, I could feel. Because I didn't I didn't look at the football many where all that gear, people getting knocked out. I'm thinking to myself, that's stupid. On ice and skating, I ain't doing that. That's out. Basketball I love is really nice, but if you distinguish yourself with height, you know, I was six four, six five, that's that's and plus it's way too much running. And I said I'm built for baseball. One day up Four days sitting there sucking on sunflower seeds, watching the rest of y'all work, and I get a bigger check than you get. And if you can figure that out better than I did, then I'll tip my hat to you. I was saying, so how is it that you go to playing a sport and being and doing it well of a sport you wasn't even interested in? Well, no, no, I wasn't interested in it. I enjoyed it, but it's way too hard. See, when I was in when we were in the seven sixties, the seventies, there are no black coaches. So it's being predominantly run by white men and they are abusive and at the time drinking water was an indictment on your manhood and they judged everything by weakness and everything weak to them was female every derogatory comment to you was about a female well my father had three tours of duty i thought my mom was superman you know she working two jobs i ain't never missed no, I mean, so that they clouded my judgment based on what, how they were going after. We had to do stupid things like snake drills and everything was one-on-one, uh, bull in the ring and testing your physicality and your manhood constantly, which is okay. I can get through all that. But in the end, I just thought it was barbaric. It just didn't make a lot of sense to me. But I enjoyed it because it's a group deal and all my boys is playing. And winning in it is great. 
I'm a win. I'm a victory jockey. So what drives me is winning. So I won championship at 11 and 12. I was undefeated at 13. When you win early, it taints you. It makes you. I had some really good coaches, and it just I became a a, a competitive junkie because they took you to McDonald's if you won. If you lost, you got nothing. Everything for me was like rewards for this, and you got nothing if you failed. So I became obsessed with the idea that if I'm in it, I got to win it. I got to be in the victory circle. I got to, I don't have to be the guy, but we have to be the team. Like to me, to go through a whole season and not be a champion is unheard of. You know, I'm crying if we lose in the Super Bowl. That killed me. Where most people go, oh, they're just happy to be there. But not to win it all, being that close. We're 14-2. We're a hell of a team. But we failed. And that's how I'm I'm built for that. I'm built like, okay, that's not good. But we got there, and I keep driving it while I'm out the league. So I'm trying to win the Super Bowl of life. I'm trying to win the Super Bowl in whatever business I'm in. I'm trying to win whatever's there to prove to me that we are performing at a higher level than your group is performing. When did you start seeing that you were able to achieve the pro status? You had that drive early, but when did you yeah, start saying, just, hey, I can actually do this for a living? I did. I did I just following the rest of the pack, being in it, I enjoyed it. We won the Rose Bowl at UCLA, and we beat undefeated Ohio State. And another great deal, we won the pack, pack eight at the time. So it's another championship. I'm just collecting these championships mm. and then the pros mm. and with the Bengals and they're terrible. We lose. I had five new five head coaches in my first five years in the league. So you could say why me or you could feel like you've been um I don't know earmarked or cursed. But I always saw that it was just preparation for something that would be on down the road. And as a result, playing for five different head coaches in five consecutive seasons it ended up giving me a good basis and a platform for management and what I do now. You know, if, if I'm talking about a workplace or how we can generate a good a morale or we can set goals, I had to live it. I had to go through this. I had to be humbled. I had to be – I broke my arm twice my rookie year. I had to go through these things in order to build up that callus that's necessary to get through tough times. What's one of the things that you can describe the difference between being a pro-black athlete in America then versus now? We make more money, but we have very little control. The NBA is balling because they make the most. They have 17 of the 32 coaches that are African-Americans. They have proven to be the closest to equality. And that's hard because, you know, it's, you're dealing with billionaires. They're the best. The NFL to me is the worst because you have no African-American representation of any ownership, no primary owners. You have one or two head coaches. You have two or three coordinators. So they've cut you off at the bases, but they started off the most racist because they made it very clear that you couldn't be a quarterback. They controlled the most prominent position in their sport they went way out of their way to make sure no black man ever got under center. They didn't want you to be a center. They didn't want you to be a middle linebacker. If you look at the National Football League, and I go all the way back to the Marlon Briscoe with the Buffalo Bills, 
um, James Jack Harris. I look at Willie Wood with the University of Southern California in 1960. James Jack Harris, as I mentioned, Jefferson Street Joe. These are guys that I adored because I tried to, you know, I was a pitcher, so I tried, I played quarterback in youth league. And when I got to the ninth grade, even though I had the best arm on the team, my coach, who I mean, I just, Jim Rudd, I can't thank him enough because he made it very clear. He made it very clear to me. He made it very clear that I would not be able to play quarterback. So he suggested out of love that I move to receiver. And um, and I, I thank him for that because he wanted me to be able to go get an education in college. And he said, nobody will touch you as a quarterback. Now, later in life, meeting James Shaq Harris and being friends with Doug Williams, and to hear their stories, and I've interviewed both of those gentlemen in my format on ProView, and to, and to see their eyes water up, and that what they had to go through is painful. Um, to see Dwight, um, God, last name, play center, Alabama kid, play with the Dolphins, Dwight Stevenson. I remember him vividly, all pro for African-American center. Willie Lanier, middle linebacker. Uh, that meant a lot uh, uh, to me because, again, I've interviewed these gentlemen and I've heard the pain. And their stories are compelling because of what they had to go through to prove that they could play middle linebacker. When I was in the backyard, hey, I was Dick Butkus because I didn't have a Willie Lanier to use as a role model. I was John Unitas because I didn't have a James Shaq Harris when I was at that formidable year to be in the backyard saying I was him. But I adored him when he was with the Rams. It made a lot to me. I love Joe Namath as well. I never saw color from that standpoint when it came to the sport until I met like a Bobby Bell, who may be the greatest athlete ever. Played quarterback in college. Played offensive lineman, but he couldn't play it, so he ended up playing rush in and he's one of the greatest linebackers of defense events in history hall of famer so because i did the, my due diligence and i tracked this because it was important to me to see and hear the pain from these men to talk to bobby mitchell the first african-american 1960 in dc and i go wait a minute hold it you mean the nation's capital had an all-white team and it showed me what america wanted to be and we had the most racist owner George Preston Marshall, that he was just doing what everybody else was doing. But having spent quality time with this man that I adored, who we just lost a year or so ago, Bobby Mitchell, then Brig Owens, who we just buried, his flight. He was a quarterback. He's from my hometown. He's from Orange County. He couldn't play quarterback. He would have been at USC. He ended up going to Cincinnati, where he could play quarterback. And he's a great Bearcat. And then I go Calvin Hill, who ended up at Yale. But he was a quarterback, and he was at UCLA. And a janitor there, an African-American, said, son, you'll never play here. And that prompted him to go to Yale and be a running back. So because I've been, I'm so interested in this, and I followed it, and I tried to document it as much as possible. And then when I met Coach Thompson, was able to work by his side for 12 years. And I've interviewed and talked with Coach and Bill Russell, who we just lost, Sam Jones, 
out of Carolina. And with the, the, the path these brothers had to take, elite athletes, then you become, I'm obsessed with the history of it and watching Mike Vick, and I covered college football for many years, and the thrill of watching this dude play the position, and Jay Walker at Howard University, I was working with Charlie Neal, the great Charlie Neal, and doing MEAC football, and I saw Air McNair against Jay Walker at Howard University, and that to me was a Super Bowl environment. It was just phenomenal. I, I did a game where these dudes are just tearing it up. So it's always meant something to me because I was denied that. And then to see Doug Williams and to know his story at Tampa and then to have him here. And I'm covering the team now as a reporter. And I'm looking at the power this man had in the locker room because Doug, people are colorblind. They all attracted to him. He's a great leader. Doug is not a guy who's going to flaunt anything. He's a controlled brother's very compact and so i saw the influence he had here and yet after being mvp of a game he was off the team like in a year so you can't make this stuff up this happens to us it's a different set of rules and regulations and and it's amazing that even through the randall cunninghams who played here i played against him i watched him i chronicled the whole deal to see where we are now and then to lead all the way up to the point where Kyler Murray gets a contract. Now, I, I had to apologize for some things I said on my podcast. I think it's a lack of communication by the teachers. I think we have some poor instructors in sports for these dudes. They don't connect with people that don't look like them. That's unacceptable as an instructor. But then I said to myself, hey, did the dude not read his own contract? You mean he signed something? They had them stipulations in it? Or did they add it in after he signed? Well, you know it was there. He didn't read it. So to him and his agent, both of them need their behinds whipped for missing that. So what would you say some of the reasonings, or the which is yonkers to me when you break all that history down, of what was their reasoning of why you feel like the criticism is towards black quarterbacks or black athletes in certain positions? Well, the quarterback position is the topic with with Murray now signing a contract for millions of dollars, and they have a four-hour study stipulation in it. And when upon getting the news, I reacted as if, well, let's focus on the teachers. If you were in a language class, and, and I don't pick up on it well, the teacher has to burden some of the responsibilities as well as the student. And why are the... Why does it seem like there's several African-American quarterbacks that don't pick up things? I go, well, some of this, let's focus on the teacher. But in his case, he was insulted about something they put in a contract that he signed. So did you not read the contract? His agent obviously didn't read it. And I thought it was embarrassing on both their parts. Clearly, they did it for a reason. He's been noted as lackadaisical. I don't know him. I haven't met him. I call him a porcupine on my show. And he has the right to do that as long as he can get away with it. He does not seem to be the ideal teammate, but they win more games with him than they've ever won. So agreed they should have signed him, but I think he should have read his contract before he signed him. 
I have to ask you, good sir, um, why you call Kyler Murray a porcupine? Because his exactly. attitude, the way he rubs people the wrong way, he doesn't seem warm and fuzzy. And this is coming out of his market. I, I have a dear friend who used to work with me here who's in their market. So what you hear about him has been confirmed. He's a baseball guy now, and you can be more of an individual in baseball. As a quarterback, you know, I, I love his talent. But I think some of this is self-inflicted. So to someone who watched the game is not in yeah. there, why the criticism towards him is heavy and we don't see we didn't see that kind of criticism towards like a Johnny Manziel, Johnny Football, who was known for partying and doing his thing and all that good stuff when he was in college. With Johnny Football, yeah, he was a F he was a F up and he was, you know, a privileged like frat boy. And uh and he did get some criticisms and he's not in the league. This guy's a elite talent he's shown you what he's capable of doing but teammates people have he earned this reputation now. i don't think they made it up but still that is um insignificant he signed a contract that had a stipulation in it clearly then he found out later that it was there and then got offended to me that's on him is the study film is that normal in contracts no. So the fact that they made this special for him, it speaks to that more Absolutely. so his character, not because of his blackness. No, and now he could be red. Clearly, there's a pattern that they're not comfortable. He gets a lot done with athletic athletic ability, but 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 he's not the first one. Mike Vick has has gone on record of saying there he could have put more in, but he was just so gifted. I mean, he got it done. And and I go, you look at the pattern. They said the same thing about Robert Griffin III here, the ability. Is he able to read defense? Is he able to pick these things up? Well, some of these things have to be developed, and the, the instructor has to bear some of the burden on this as well. But if you pay attention, and these guys are highly intelligent people, there shouldn't be as big a disconnect. Ryan Leaf had the same thing. White quarterbacks have had some of the same thing, but not at the volume of this, at this level. And um, and they have to overcome it. They have to be able to get support from within their building to where people don't allow this to grow. Obviously, in Arizona, they felt the need to do this. And again, I go back to the fact that they put it in before he signed it. Why did you sign it? Yeah, I'm with you on that. I don't know if he was – Kicking it with some friends and he somebody read it. Read it. Like, you know I, I don't know how you, you know can sign well, Yeah, that's what he did. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. I'm trying to figure out. I'm trying to figure out how did he find out later? Is well, my question. Lawyer, like, well, was he lawyer, just watching way, ESPN like me? He or his his lawyers? They missed it. They missed it. I mean, it's clear as day, man. They, or they added it on afterwards, and they should be criminally dealt with. Either way, you got a case, you win. He can't. You ain't, he's quiet as a church mouse. He ain't said a word. He didn't read it. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, Doc, I gotta ask you okay. some some DC questions for my friends that they they gonna hang. Okay. Okay. Um, my first question comes from my boy Bryant, who's from Southeast, and you know about Southeast. He wants to know how's it been for you going from playing Pro Bowl to now being a broadcaster. What was that transition like? Well, um. It was it was it was premeditated. Number one, I was trying to avoid physical labor, and so I wanted to do something that 
I saw Fast Eddie Alexander and Irv Cross were my only two images. Again, once I see somebody that looks like me, it lets me know I have a chance to do that. I didn't have anybody for that most part. Bernie, Bernie Casey was with the Rams and he was in Hollywood. So the only African-Americans that I saw that made the transition or went into that were either entertainment or Bernie Casey. So because I'm in LA, Fast Eddie Alexander covered the Bruins. So he allowed me access. I told him I was very interested in this. And so once you get exposure, I got to go down to the network with him and see him work. I idolized the positions he was in. And to see Irv Cross, it's the only guy I saw. And then OJ get it, even with the Hurst commercial, but OJ was doing sideline, Lynn Swan. You can put him on one hand. And so when you see something, I said, well, that's cool, because they get to stay in the game. I didn't have images of, of African-American coaches. I couldn't coach. There were certain things I didn't feel like I could invest in because there'd be no return. So I took the path, I thought, of least resistance and got involved in it from that standpoint. I go, I should have an advantage. As a former athlete who understands all sports, not just one sport, I could have a chance at it. And that's what I started. All right, my next one comes from my homeboy, Denny, from Uptown. He wants to know, what are your thoughts on Joe Jacoby being left off the seniors list? On Joe Jacoby. Jacoby, I'm sorry. Okay. It's Jacoby awful. being left off the seniors list. It's, it's awful. He's the best, most physical, and most imposing individual I've ever been playing with. He was a thrill to play with because you didn't have to do much because he was so dominant. Uh, it's pitiful. Somebody has really irritated somebody in the league office from Washington. And um, Art Monk had to wait way too long. How do you leave with the leader, all-time leader in the history of the league when you retire and it take you that long to get in the Hall of Fame? Charlie Taylor set the bar. Art equaled and surpassed it. Should have been like hopscotch. He had to wait. Our guys, it's, it's, it's pitiful. It really is. And so Larry Brown, to me, is a Hall of Famer. Pat Fisher is a Hall of Famer. But they, they got to go in and be humiliated. Because you don't want to beg for nothing. But I think those guys are worthy. And it really, really broke my heart. I got to Zoom with him today later in the afternoon. I'll get a chance to chat with him. So. Not good. Not good at all. Okay, I just I got two more because I'm going to hit all corners okay. of D.C. It's from my guy, Moon in Southwest. He wants to know, who are your picks to join the greatest list, and what's the criteria? Well, you know, I'm, I, don't, I am so frustrated over the fact that we're 0 for 22. And I say 0 for 22, that is getting to the Super Bowl, that I'm just numb. I don't really care about their promotions. I don't, I don't have any energy for anything other than can we beat Jacksonville. And can then, then can we come back and beat Detroit? And so I think everybody they mentioned is worthy, but it does nothing for me because so what? If you're next to last place, are you really, do you really have the time to focus on something that happened a decade ago? I, I just can't do that. Uh, I think everybody that they've submitted, Daryl Grant to me, uh, should be in, Rollo McKenzie. These are two-way players. Raleigh played five positions on great teams that went to, he went thinking with the three or four Super Bowls. How can he not be there? Daryl Grant, two-way player, center, snapper, wedge buster, badass. Dexter Manley, World Grant, Dave Butts, 
Charles Mann, Tony McGee. Those guys were ferocious. And there's so many obvious omissions that I just can't take it seriously. Got you. Okay, final one comes from my girl Lindsay out in Northeast. She wants to know, how do you feel about the team going from Redskins to the Commandos? Uh, again, I'm numb to it. If um, I met a senator, Native American of Utah, about 20 years ago. I stopped saying it 18 years ago. I asked him, was it offensive? He said it was. I said, no problem. I've called them the skins, the hogs. I usually refer to them as the burgundy and gold, and I just moved on. I always loved the logo because I'd never seen a dark skin image being represented on anything. Mm. I thought it was honorable. I love the logo, and I still wear the logo. I respect him, and I do not display the name. But, yeah, but I say to the same people that have the Confederate flags in the house. You know, that's a symbol of some hate in many circles. We went through this with the NASCAR group. And so if you don't refuse to evolve, if you refuse to grow, to hell with you. I have to because I was called Negro, nigger, spook. I was called, and then when 1968, when James Brown said, say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud, that's the first time I had dignity. That's the first time I said, yeah, I don't have to work, feel like I'm wrong. No, I'm right. And I don't, be, I don't let other people put me in a box. But that's how they trained us. That's how we grew up. I had to say a pledge of allegiance that didn't even affect me. I had to say I honored people who didn't even consider me to be human. So, I mean, I, 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 I'm the wrong guy for all this for y'all, because I'm telling you right now, I don't dare say that tune. This is so powerful that it don't mean it, it doesn't have any merit to me unless you got a chance, like everybody else in this marketplace, to compete financially. They want to run a 100-yard dash and have a 20-yard head start, and they think that's fair. But then when we catch him and we put the Usain Bolts of the world after him, and then when we catch him, then they have a real problem. They they forced us to be superhuman damn near because of all the restrictions and requirements. My father was in the Marines. My father-in-law was in the Air Force. And they were discriminated against, yet they still served. And they served with pride. And they would have died for this country. So if you want to die for a country that don't even respect you or going through the pandemic, you got to fight to get things to heal you because we're a top-down society and we ought to be a bottom-up society. But they're so greedy, those at the top, and we allow them to stay there because most African-Americans, a large majority, I take that back, large majority, don't vote. And they don't understand the political system. They think voting is a once every four years deal. They don't understand. It's every two years. It starts locally. You got to get involved. You got to have a voice. And so we're, we always react after stuff happens. We got to be proactive. And we have to talk this in our home. We have to teach politics and teach money because that's what this country is all about, money and politics. So, you know, I'm, I don't, I don't, I'm not going to play sorry. Like I'm not a victim. I told you I'm going to compete with this thing to beat the system and to make the system work for me, you know, unless they lock me up or something and don't allow me to do my thing. As long as it's legal, nothing they can do about it. (laughs) 
Mr. Rick Doc Walker, I appreciate. Thank you for the gems that you have dropped on today's episode. And tell us about when we can, where we can catch your podcast. I know you mentioned that earlier before we go. Patreon.com slash Doc Walker. Because I want to be like Netflix. I want to be like Peacock, Hulu. Why could they do it? I'm going to do it. Why should I be free? I'm giving content. I'm dropping dimes. I'm dunking. I'm hitting threes. So it's like pay-per-view. So I'm conditioned to that. And I didn't know anything about it. I almost took the route like everybody else. And I thought, but that wouldn't be me. And I and but culturally, I'm going against the curve. Because we don't even pay. Most African-Americans don't want to pay for subscriptions. Like you don't pay for cable. You robbing cable. Got your nephews, cousins, Bobby Joe. Everybody doing it. I get it. But at some point, <laughs> at some point, I'm going to make you do it. Because you're going to have to. If you want to get it, because you can't get it nowhere else. Because the cats that have been sold, they sold, they sold. They be making a lot of money, but they ain't saying nothing. And there's nothing you're going to hear from them that's going to elevate you personally. You're going to be stuck on stupid when they show goes off. I refuse to let that happen. My people, they walk away with content every day. Every session, they learn something. They get something. It's like going to the library or going to the Smithsonian. I told them, you have to get something out of this or I fail. I have failed. If I talk to you about the 90 gradients, <laughs> who ought to be on a day who know, but who cares? That ain't going to help you. My deal is to help people empower themselves so they can go out and fulfill their own dream so they can make their life a reality and not a statistic. You know, don't just stay stuck on stupid because if you do that, they'll allow you to do it because they want you to do it. They want you in some line so they can pass you out something, make them feel good about themselves. No, I want to earn mine. I'm going to earn it. And they don't do anything legal. That's why I always laugh. They're always in the litigation because that's all they believe in, litigation. Because all the money's in law. <laughs> the money's in law. They drug this thing out with Deshaun Watson for damn near two years. And he got. And then they make him the highest paid guy ever. At least they did that. Because if they evaluate their owners and put their owners under the same scrutiny, hell, half of them be in prison. So it's no different than the Trump administration. Half the boys that roll with him have been they're in prison or they've been pardoned. Now, you got to be blind as a bat not to see that. So all these boys, they want to play dirty. And then when you catch them at it or you do it better than them, then they then the hate starts because they don't want to play fair. They don't want to share and they don't want to play fair. And so that's why I love the NBA. But I don't appreciate what some of these brothers are doing, not fulfilling the obligation. I mean, you're going to make $30 million a year. You could at least show up playing the game. That's another topic. Oh, no, I hear you. I hear you. Do you think before we go that the six games was enough for Deshaun Watson or it should have been a lot more? Should have been none because unless you're going to take the Texans franchise and then you're going to find them $40 million, if they provided an environment for this guy to clown out like he did on their facility, they're culpable. That's why this thing was going to be light because they had to pay out too. So they say, well, he paid 30 or 40. Okay, fine. Okay. He should have. He should have. Clearly, he's got an issue. There's an issue there. But what about the owners? You got six or seven of them tied up in sexual, and they filthy rich. I can't get over why a billionaire would be interested in some teenager. That's just me. I don't get it. But I know that they're dirty and it's been documented and yet nothing has happened. 
So why should they get away with it and he can't? I don't condone what he did. But I'm also saying I don't have a daughter because I can't speak from expertise. I got boys. But if my baby came up to me and told me she was going to be a masseuse, then I'm going to do that. I'm going to go out and help her change that profession. Because you walking into it's like you can't come out and be a stripper and say somebody offended you. Really? Then I got to get you in another vocation because you set yourself up. It's dangerous. It was dangerous. And so they paid him all that money and they 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 rigged the contract. So even if he wore us out, he paid a lease. At least they gave him some that much respect. Since they dirty too, they made sure that. And and I think the judge realized that's why he got six. I predicted today, or before it happened Monday, I said he'll get four or none. And people thought and he got six. And she did that, I think, because she know that if the owners have proven they've been busted, but nobody's lost their job, nobody's prepared, they lose their franchise. Go back to Steve Wilkes, the brother who was with the Panthers. He goes down to Arizona. They fire him after one year. Who gets fired after one year? We do. Why? Because they know they can get away with it. So every example, so you took me down this road. You don't want to go there. I'm telling you because I pay attention to it because if I don't do it, nobody else will. That's why you don't hear about it. Nobody talks about it. Man, get fired. Every time I know, brother get fired after one year. You get the worst jobs all the time. They give you the Houston, all the jobs that are awful. You guarantee you they'll find a man for color for that one because they're too smart to take them because they know the odds are stacked against you. But that's what they do. It's all premeditated. And, and, and as I've said to my audience, I'm, I'm responsible. I'm going to games. I'm participating. We have changed things in this country by doing one thing and one thing only, and that is marching in streets. It is peaceful protests that have forced people into change. You volunteering to boycott an NFL game? Because you're behind to be alone. So the NFL's like crack. And they done hooked all of us on it. So they can do whatever the hell they want to do, and they get away with it over and over and over. Because you and I are not going to stop watching, and we're not going to stop participating. I tried to warn Ken about doing this. I said, you really don't want to do this. Oh, no, you're fine. You spoke your piece. No, no, you are fine. You have spoke. I got one speed. No, no, no. I think one. I think truth should be spoken no matter where it's from. The one thing that I like to quote when Baldwin says is that a coward is someone that sees what's wrong and understands what's wrong but refuses to say anything about it. So, you know, you're speaking your truth, and that's what this platform is for. It's for speaking your truth. You know what I mean? And that's the truth that you're speaking. I can't let yeah. it. I, I just want people to know if you accept no, it. I, then go ahead and win. I am mad because I'm guilty too. I got the NFL channel. I got the NFL. Oh, I admit. I'm subscribed to everything. I worked, I, I worked on forever. I'm around them again. So I love the game. I hate the way it's practiced. I hate the fact of seeing what I saw happen with Bobby Mitchell. I hate that. I hate it. The brothers that aren't stars. Yeah, they, they roll, they roll over them like tractors. They want you to be dependent upon them. And I refuse to do that. You know, thank God for podcasts. Thank God for these formats. Thank God for what you guys are doing. Because if you don't do this, you know, we do a lot of talking at barbershops, but we got a small audience. We need a gigantic audience. And then we need people to that don't quite understand. A lot of things I don't understand. Teach me. I'm willing to learn. I can still learn. But don't don't point a gun in my face and then 
want me to be convinced that it's not bullets in it because I don't trust you. I appreciate that. All right, man. Mr. Rick Dot Walker, I appreciate what you said. Thank you for that raw truth. And thank you. And make sure they check your podcast out. That has been another enlightening episode of the history of being black with Mr. Rick Dot Walker. Much appreciate you. As usual, you can catch me on all social media platforms at J Hall Society. Make sure you check out the History of Being Black IG page. Leave your comments. Make sure you let us know exactly how you feel, Mr. Rick. Dot Walker, hope I can have you on here again when we start having, when the season starts picking back up and you start giving your opinion, NBA and NFL and other things that you want to talk about too. Hey, man, it's up to Ken, man. Ken, I'm still trying to get out of detention. He had me in detention for about a year and a half. So hopefully I'm I'm working my way out of his (laughs) detention, his doghouse. Hopefully. All right, as usual, be blessed for and successful, and we'll talk to you soon. The History of Being Black is hosted by Jay Hall, executive producer Ken Johnson. Find the History of Being Black podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or where you get your podcast. Find the History of Being Black podcast on IG at The History of Being Black. Follow the Mean O-Line Media Podcast Network on IG at Mean O-Line Media. Get the Mean O-Line Media app in the App Store or on Google Play. The History of Being Black podcast is a Mean O-Line Media production.